Well, before we begin, uh, let me uh, say thank you to each of you for the wonderful joy and privilege it is for me and for my family uh, to be here amongst you. It's my uh, delight to be able to bring you greetings from another Trinity, from Trinity College at the University of Melbourne in Australia. And thank you especially uh, to the wonderful Nancy who has made this visit possible and who has been such a warm and gracious host uh, as we always knew she would be and I'm sure is no secret to any of you. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of all of our hearts be always and ever acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I want to begin by uh, taking us on something of a journey uh, even further away in time and place from Australia uh, to 400 and something years before Jesus was born when the Greek historian Herodotus recorded a rather strange story that had happened a further three centuries before his own life. It's a story about the governor of Corinth, a man named Periander, who sent a messenger, one of his servants, to the governor of another town called Miletus, because he wanted to seek the advice of the governor of Miletus about how best to run his own city. The answer he got took him by surprise because instead of giving the sort of bureaucratic, administrative, boring answer that might have been expected, Governor Thrasybulus of the town of Miletus took the messenger from Corinth, led him out into a field. While they were in the field, the governor talked about all sorts of things. The weather, the local baseball comp, While they were going, he cut off the heads of the tallest stalks of wheat. The the messenger from Corinth was a bit perplexed by this. He went back to Corinth uh, and he said to his boss, Periander, I I don't know what happened. Uh, There was no advice given. He he took me on some sort of walk in a field. He was thrashing around at things fairly wildly. I don't don't know what what can I say? Periander, however, was astute enough, we are told by Herodotus, uh, to recognise that in fact Thrasybulus had given him advice. 
And the advice was this. Go in amongst the townsfolk of Corinth, find all the prominent men and cut off their heads. (laughs) So he did. And that was the start of a somewhat brutal reign uh, over Corinth by Periander. Now, 400 years after Herodotus uh, recorded this story, uh, the Roman historian Livy wrote about the same event. He changed the names of the characters. Uh, so, you know, instead of this being about Periander, the, the, the hero of the story, or at least the anti-hero of the story, is the unfortunately named Tarquinius Superbus. Uh, Instead of Tarquinius cutting off heads of wheat, he goes into a field full of poppies and cuts off the tallest of the poppy stalks. And so it's from these two stories, from ancient Greece and ancient Rome respectively, that we get this idea of what we now know as the tall poppy syndrome. The cutting down of prominent or famous people, the unwillingness to allow anyone to get, uh, we might say, too big for their boots. In Australia, and perhaps something similar is the case here in the United States, I'm not sure, but in Australia the gravest social sin that anyone can commit is the sin of hubris, of pride. But it's okay because we've determined a way to deal with this. In order to make sure none of us get too unjustifiably proud of ourselves, it's a way of saving ourselves from sin, really, uh, we, we cut them down. We undermine them. We pour scorn upon them and upon their achievements. And if none of that works, we make up scandalous stories that tarnish their image. We do all this not because we don't believe the achievements that these people have made, but because we find it hard to believe that they, of all people, could have done such things. Had it been us, it would have been entirely understandable. If we are successful, it's... Well, it will... Of course, it goes without saying. If they are successful, that's entirely improbable. And so there must be something slightly dodgy about it. Their success is scandalous. It's offensive to us. Because we never thought they were the sort of people who would do such a thing. Now, my suspicion is that St. Mark um, never read either Herodotus or Livy, uh, <clears throat> but his description of Jesus' somewhat disastrous visit to his hometown records exactly the same sentiment. 
Jesus comes back and he is of course the local boy made good. The local boy who's outstripped anything that Joseph had ever done. And one would think that this would be an occasion for celebration, for hanging out the bunting, to have a feast. But of course they don't do that. Quite on the contrary, Jesus is shunned. He's made to feel so unwelcome that it seems he has no choice but to leave. He is in this story the quintessential tall poppy who needs to be brought down a rung or two, who needs to be taught not to get too big for your boots or perhaps your sandals. His experience in Nazareth is the experience of all those who have done what was never expected of them, who have broken the mould of what they were meant to do and who in consequence have scandalised and offended all those others by whom the expectations were put in place in the first instance. You see, it's not the achievements, it's not the successes, it's not the fact that Jesus had a large crowd by this time following him. It's not the fact that he was teaching with authority in the synagogues, healing people and raising folk from the dead. That's not the problem. The problem is the improbability of this man doing these things. The unlikelihood of this young carpenter going about the country doing what he's doing. The scandalous nature of Jesus' acts is in their supposed improbability. This is a theme that runs through the readings that we've had today. And so we read, of course, of King David, who by the time we get to our reading has unquestioned authority over the people of Israel. And yet that authority is in such a stark contrast to the modesty of his childhood and the surprise to everyone, it seems, of his anointing by Samuel. We read of St Paul, who in our passage today speaks to his hard-fought apostolic authority. And yet this is an authority that is the polar opposite of the earlier way in which he had gleefully persecuted the early Christian communities. And of course we read of Jesus, whose beginnings in the Bethlehem stable, his years of adolescence, apprenticed to Joseph, were so nondescript, 
were so ordinary that his fellow town folk simply could not accept all that he was now doing. Strangely, this is not so much proof of a tall poppy syndrome in the Bible, but proof rather that we have an electing God who is gracious to us and who chooses the most unlikely of people to be the heralds of his good news. The people of Israel called out of obscurity and then enslavement to be a light of God's favour to all the nations. A king, David, called out from amongst all of his older brothers to their great astonishment and to Jesse's to rule over the Lord's chosen people and even to be the patriarch of the house from which the Messiah comes. St Paul called out from his prideful animosity against the Christians into a preeminent apostolicity amongst them. And finally Jesus the eternal Son of God, elected by God from all eternity to dwell amongst us in that canotic humility of which we read in Philippians. The eldest son of an elderly carpenter and his much younger wife. Yet even in those humble circumstances, even in that ordinariness, to be for us the revelation of God's own self, and to be for us and for all humanity our salvation. All of which is to say that today's Gospel and indeed all of our scriptures for this day speak at first glance of that age-old intent to cut down the tall poppies amongst us, to deny and ridicule their achievements all that they've done. But yet, in a far truer sense, these scriptures speak to us of God's decision to privilege the unexpected, to work his ways through those on the margins and the edges, to speak his word of grace and love precisely through those whom we have deemed to be unworthy, other and alien. In Australia, now and for the last 20 years, we have suffered from a politically driven fear of those who are unlike us. Those who we have decided are beyond the pale. Those who are the unexpected. Maybe that resonates here in your country too. Yet the scriptures 
tell us time and time and time again that these are precisely the ones through whom God speaks. These are the ones in whose faces God's own face shines. Our text for today, in particular our Gospel from St Mark, remind us that God uses those whom we would regard as the least likely and the least deserving to be the heralds and the emissaries of his grace and favour. For the town folk of Nazareth, the least obvious messenger of God was this young carpenter Jesus. In Australia these days, the least obvious messenger of God would probably be a young adolescent Aboriginal boy. I'll leave you to decide who might be deemed the least likely messenger of God's grace here in America in these days. But what I do know is this. If we can't, or if we won't, see the face of God in the most improbable of people, then like the people of Nazareth, we might just miss him altogether. So my prayer for me, my family, for you, and all the communities from which we come, my prayer is that we would always be open to the wonderfully surprising, the utterly unexpected ways in which and people through whom God's grace and God's face come to us. Amen.